I thought about saying, put up your hand if you have something to say. But I think we, I can't imagine that we are anything but delighted and warmed and exhilarated to see and know about Harry Belafonte, who really, uh, when you want to think about a life well lived, and I, I heard that clip a few times this morning, and uh, I was glad to share it with you. I'm glad to share looking at you hearing it and looking at uh, there's Brahmini and Ace and they're, they're singing along and there's Nancy Iverson and there's that one and there's the other one and there's Anna. And I'm just so happy to see my friends celebrating with me that uh, I think the the embodiment of wisdom and what's important. I looked because there's somewhere I, I earlier this morning found and then lost a piece of a tribute to Harry Belafonte where he said, when I was a child, my mother said to me every day, at the end of the day, think to yourself, what did you do good for somebody today? And I thought, wow, what a way to start a day. What did you do good for somebody today? That's an amazing way to start a life and have as a begin and be able to live into that in such a dramatically big way. I hadn't known about uh, uh, some many of his activisms and his particular activisms and who he worked with and uh, his association with Martin Luther King and. And that he seemed at a really relatively young age and uh, with a lot of fame uh, for his uh, singing, acting, to say this, you know, there's really something else that I want to concentrate on. And that's my civil rights activism. And what and I thought, you know, that I, I wanted to talk about what's the point. I often talk about where are we going really and what is this all about and talking about developing a, a heart of kindness. But I think it's important also to say developing a, part, a heart of kindness out of two things, out of awareness of how much difficulty there is in this whole world and all the people who are moving through their lives in it, and also recognizing that in any, in any life that we lead, I'm... None of us are Harry Belafonte. None of us have uh, tremendous fame or skill or things that we can make our name for the whole world. But we can all, uh, he said when he was a child, Harry Belafonte in the clip I can't find, said, my mother said at the end of every day, what did you do good for somebody today? I just said that. It's worth saying again. Imagine orienting your life about around what did I do good for somebody and not uh, oh dear, look what happened to me. Or even, oh goody, look what happened to me. What's happening to everybody else is an amazing orientation. It's an amazing orientation. I, I thought this morning when I was thinking about other old people that I knew who have now died, who made a significant, um, made significant um, uh, 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 progress for the world. Uh, is I had the great pleasure of meeting um, Eric, Eric, Eric Erickson and Renee Spitz. They're both long out of this world now. Eric Erickson was a, a, a psychoanalyst and a sociologist and a psychologist 
in very well known in the 1940s and 50s. And um, he lived to be quite old. Uh, and he wrote a book called the, I think it was called The Eight Stages of um, Life. I'm not sure whether that was the title or the subtitle, but Eric Erickson, E-R-I-K-S-O-N. And he said the first stage, he talked about being an infant and then being a toddler and then being a school child and then being an adolescent and then moving on and possibly making a relationship with somebody, possibly making a family, possibly establishing a, a, a work that was, one hopes, meaningful. And in the end, he had the last stage of life, oldness, as generativity. Who can I tell about this? Who can I teach this to? He said, really, it's a wonderful thing to be able to be an older person where what you're looking forward to is not that much of life, but looking forward to being able um, being able to spread what you know to other people. Uh, and I thought about it again this morning when I was thinking about talking to you, that I think one of the things about getting old, physically old, so like I am, like many of us now, is that you get to live through so many stages of your life and you begin to see, oh, what's really important is this. What's really important is that. And in the end, it, what's really important is sensitivity to what can I do today where I have less ability to go out and teach and do and what? What can I do today that's going to make the world better and feeling good from that? And one of the... Um, one of my cousins sent me one of those not so funny, but also funny lists of things that are uh, you can't do anymore when you get old. And it's, it's a it's a parody, of course. And it actually is funny. I laughed at that. And it's in the it's in the it's in the genre of uh, getting old is not for sissies. But it's the opposite side of getting old is not for sissies. It's getting old is giving you the opportunity to look over your life and say, you know what, this is important and that's important. And what I have to say to people and the way I have to act is out of that awareness of what's important. And what's important are all the things that we understand of kindness and compassion. And what stands in the way of it coming up in my mind is confusion. Comes back around. To, may I not be confused so that I can act with kindness in the world, which is really a nice thing to think about when you get up in the morning. May I not be confused so I can act with kindness in the world. And then all the ways that we unconfuse ourselves or sort out what's important and what's not so important. What I thought I would do today in our contemplative time, I said that purposely, not in our meditation break, but in our contemplative time, because I think everything about being together is a teaching. Listening to teachings, listening to what the Buddha said, listening to Harry Belafonte is all part of trying to see clearly what's important and resorting ourselves so we are oriented in the direction of kindness and compassion. I had one more person I wanted to mention before I forget about him. 
I was at a conference with my husband um, in, oh, I don't know, it, it could have got to be 40 years ago or something, long time ago. Uh, we were, it was the first time that we'd gotten grandparents or whatever to stay with our children. And we went to a psychiatric conference uh, in in Amsterdam, I think. doesn't much matter. It would have been the same anyplace else. But at the end of a day of listening to all kinds of luminaries talking about different kinds of psychiatric theories, my husband was a psychiatrist, uh, we went to the, we left the conference building and went outside and we were waiting for taxi to take us back to our hotel. And there was uh, an elderly man. We were young. We were maybe in our 30s and at most 40, but young. And there was an elderly man who I recognized from something he'd said in the conference during the day. And he was walking with a cane. And his name was um, uh, Rene Spitz. Uh, and Rene Spitz is not a name that everybody knows now. But Rene Spitz in the early part of the 20th century did a lot of really important, the first research on what happens to children who are not bonded with a parent caring figure in their early life. How many people knew that? He, he did research on what happens to orphans and orphanages if they're in beds and they're fed and they're warm and they're clean, but they're not cuddled and they're not talked to and they're not held and they're not rocked. And they had what was then called failure to thrive syndrome. And they actually died in disproportionate numbers. And uh, later on, it was discovered that actually those people who didn't die and got uh, adopted by somebody finally had different kinds of developmental problems growing up that it's really important in the beginning days of a, a new infant's life for them to feel held and warm and cuddled and talk to. It's like, welcome to this world. And uh, Renee Spitz is long dead. And uh, sometimes I even have trouble. I have to think a little bit. What was his name? But I remember that we were waiting for a taxi. And uh, the next taxi came up and we were online. And I said, Dr. Smith, why don't you come with us in this taxi? And we'll drive you to your hotel first. So I think it's one of the great, lovely moments of my life. I happened to take a taxi, offer a ride in a taxi to Renee Spitz 50 years ago or something. And um, I don't know what we were talking about, uh, but he was talking about things that he was working on right then. And he said, I have to work all the time because I have a deadline to meet in the most serious sense of that word. So meaning to say a deadline on his life. And I was so touched because he, did, he didn't say, you know, I'm old. He said, I'm really working hard because I have a deadline. I still have something I want to do. And I want to put this out. And I thought to myself, and I think now to myself, he was until the last minute thinking, what can I do for people? 
what Eric Erickson made in his point, uh, childhood, and so- childhood and Society is the name of the book by Eric Erickson. It's a lovely book. I, you'll probably find it on some used book outlet or something. It's a lovely book. And uh, the last chapter on generativity is uh, he's making the point, and I think more and more that it's probably true, that you have developmental periods in your life where you develop yourself, you learn how to do uh, phonics, and then you learn uh, long division, and then you learn how to get along with other people, and then you learn how to be an adolescent with a new body and new feelings, and you learn how to express your sexuality, and you figure out how to live with people if you want to, figure out if you want to have a family or whether you want to live in another kind of family situation or what you want to do. And then you get old. Uh, As I look at us, and because it's Wednesday morning, we are all, most of us, of a certain age. And I think, I see in myself, and you probably do too, that one of the things as I look at my children and their children, and now I can't tell you how pleased I am. I have, my grandchildren have children. I can tell you, I'm pleased about my grandchildren have children. That's amazing. Uh, and I see, uh, and I, I see how much I want them to thrive. And one of the things I think that happens as people mature and as they get a certain amount of clarity in their mind is you want other people's children to thrive. And you get to see that life is really amazing and it keeps on going and going and it's always been going. I think it'll be going on earth for a while, I hope. And I really hope that human beings, uh, minds and hearts catch up with their computer ability. Uh, the catch up, we, you know, we can make phone calls to France that where I just dial on my cell phone and talk to France and can do operations in, uh, by watching a TV screen and pushing buttons and like a Nintendo game. But we can't learn how to have world, we haven't learned how to make world peace yet. And I hope we learn that as a species before it's too late. And I'd like to be around to see for a while. And I think that one of the things that keeps me wanting to talk about the possibility of having a mind that has um, impartial kindness in it, which is what the Buddha taught, is a possibility at every age. We can't all of us have a a, a forum like someone with tremendous talent like Harry Belafonte, other people with tremendous talent. I just want to show you this picture on the cover of last Sunday's New York Times. I have to have my glasses on. Uh, this is, uh, whoops, I don't know if you can see this there. Who is that? Who wants to say who that is? Can you unmute yourself? I don't know. Well, we don't have to make too much of a thing out of it. I'm one of them is Joan Baez. <laughs> yes, one of them is Joan Baez. Uh, and uh, I don't know why she's holding that pheasant or whatever, but uh, the person with her is Lana Del Rey, who's a young, she looks like she's 14, she's actually 32, um, but that's probably my age, who's a singer. 
with whom they, and Joan Baez went and performed with her now, but she doesn't sing anymore. She said, I stopped singing three years ago. That was the right thing to do at that time. And now I'm working on something else. But uh, but this whole article in the New York Times is about uh, elders and uh, working with younger people, pairing themselves with younger people. And it's uh, it's a very lovely um, expression of when you can't do your particular thing anymore in the way that you do did, then you can do it with somebody who's young and coming up. You can do it for the world. You can Harry Belafonte in his own career stopped singing and acting in movies and became a very serious social activist and was involved with, uh, uh, what's the name for uh, Hope for the World or Love for the World? What was the name of that thing that he did? Who knows? Who remembers? Um, Emiko will look it up. <laughs> that was a, a food for the world, something. Uh, the, all the singers, he got all the singers together to raise yeah. food. It was a famine in Africa, something like that. The, we are the world, wasn't we it? Are we are the world. We are the world. Okay. So while we continue to talk a little bit, Emiko is going to cue that up for we'll hear it later on. But... Uh, what I discover in myself, and you tell me if you discover it in yourself, that talking about people finding meaning in life at any stage of life, these people had big forums like uh, uh, Harry Belafonte or uh, Joan Baez. Uh, I have a little forum uh, in, a, in, a, in a really little part of the pond of the world, but I still have a forum to talk to, and you all have forums to talk to, and many of and the people around us, and we make a difference wherever we are in the world with what we bring to that moment. And I think what I want to do, because I don't want to talk too long before we sit, I want to I want to really talk about what about getting older catches the mind more than it used to. And uh-oh, this is what's important. I thought I we had another name for this talk, but maybe I'm going to call it uh-oh, this is what's important. And uh, all right, I'm going to read this to you before we sit. And then I have a, a different kind of a sitting that I'd like us to do. But I'll lead that to be a, a guided meditation in a little while. This is a poem by uh, Billy Collins. And uh, I've been carrying it around with me for some time, looking for a time to read it. And it's called Downpour. Last night, we ended up on the couch trying to remember all of the friends who had died so far. And this morning, I wrote them down in alphabetical order on the flip side of a shopping list you had left on the kitchen table. So many of them had been swept away as if by a hand from the sky. It was good to recall them, I was thinking, under the cold lights of the supermarket as I guided a cart with a wobbly wheel up and down the long strident aisles. 
I was on the lookout for blueberries, English muffins, linguine, heavy cream, light bulbs, apples, Canadian bacon, and whatever else was on the list, which I managed to keep grocery side up until I had passed through the electric doors, where I stopped to realize as I turned the lifts over that I had forgotten Terry O'Shea as well as the bananas and the bread. It was pouring by then, spilling, as they say in Ireland, people splashing across the lot to their cars. And that's when I set out walking slowly and precisely, a soaking wet man bearing bags of groceries, walking as if a procession, walking as if in a procession honoring the dead. I felt I owed this to Terry, who was such a strong painter, and almost forgetting him, and to all the others who had formed a circle around him on the screen in my head. I was walking more slowly now, in the presence of the compassion the dead were extending to a comrade. Plus, I was in no hurry to return to the kitchen, where I would have to tell you all about Terry and the bananas and the bread. I love that. You? If you do, show me. Maybe I'll read it before we're finished then. I think it's, well, first of all, I have a really great love for the poetry of Billy Collins. But I think what we said, uh-oh, this is really what it's about. It's about having bonds that you care about and feeling when people are lost to you and being touched by the fact that life is finite. And when I... um When I last saw Eric Erickson, he was in his mid-90s, and his memory was very faulty, really very faulty. And um, he lived in a communal living arrangement with his wife uh, and some deans at uh, Harvard who were friends of mine. And I was visiting them all. And... uh, his memory was very not working. And they were so kind and supportive in their inclusion of him in all that they talked about that it's um, 40 years ago. And I remember that very well. I remember being touched by how they held him in kindness and were at ease with his frailty. I thought about that a lot. And I thought about the ways that the mind gets caught up in um, ridiculous caught-ups, like, um, oh, who who did or did not remember to say happy birthday? Or who did something else that uh, um, maybe we wish they hadn't done and the mind said, whoa, I don't like that, and goes off on, on a tangent on that. And I really want so much for my mind to not go off on tangents, not frighten itself, not forget what's true, 
And Harry Belafonte's mother said at the end of every day, think of what you did to be helpful to somebody. That's a really nice, that's a really lovely kind of injunction to have been given by, given by your mother. I hope I'll do that. I hope I am doing that. Not only telling people at the end of the day do that, but telling myself, what did you do good? What did you do helpful? Who did you call back? First of all, well, for, for all the reasons that you know, but I'm thinking because um, we have deadlines to meet, all of us. That's one thing. And the other thing is that establishing a loving connection by caring for somebody picks you up, makes your day better. I uh, I rarely do this, but I, I, I had some reason to be looking in this book. Uh, <laughs> it's a book by Sylvia Borstein called Happiness is an Inside Job. And I haven't written a book in 10 years, at least just about 10 years, I think. And I I won't because uh, that's something I I can't do anymore. Um, but I read this and I thought this first, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'll read it to you. I'll read you the first page. I was sitting at my computer writing when my friend Martha called to say that her brother Jack's illness had just taken a turn for the much worse. I felt sad, mostly for Martha, who I knew well, but also for her brother, a man I'd met, a person whose family I knew. I said what I hoped were consoling words. As soon as our conversation ended, I went back to writing, eager to resume because I'd had what I thought was a good idea, just as the phone had rung. Then I realized I'd forgotten the point I was about to make, and I heard myself think, so inconvenient of Jack to get worse just today. And I felt my heart wince at the thought. And I stopped. I turned off the computer. I lit a candle. I sat in my rocking chair. I looked out the window. I thought about Jack and his children and grandchildren. I thought about Martha in her 60s, who often described herself as Jack's baby sister, and about Martha's mother, almost 90, facing the loss of her son. Pretty soon, I found myself thinking about other people I knew who were suffering. I thought good wishes for them individually for as long as I could keep up. And then collectively, when I realized my list was enormous, I said the prayer phrases that are part of a ritual loving kindness practice, which end with, may all beings everywhere be happy and peaceful and come to the end of suffering. I felt better. I looked at the few late summer flowers still blooming on my deck outside my window. I thought about how fragile all life is and how quickly it passes. I was glad to be alive. I thought about my family all on that day well, and I felt fortunate. I thought about my friends who were well, and I prayed that they would thrive. I wished everybody I could think of well. At some point, I had the thought, go back and finish the writing, but no impulse arose in me to move. I felt peaceful and very happy. 
I love it that what my heart wants most to do is to console or appreciate or encourage. It feels better in relationship. I imagine it is ever on the lookout for an object, a frightened friend, my own chagrin self, the world around me that it can connect with. And I love it that it reminds me, it tells me, turn off the computer, light a candle, pay attention. Even when, perhaps especially when, I seem not to be listening. I feel delighted to have been born into what the Buddha called this realm of 10,000 joys and 10,000 woes, with my mind and heart primed to respond out of wisdom and out of natural benevolence with kindness. And I thought this is the best way to live. I thought how easily my mind forgets what it knows, falls into confusion, and out of caring connection. So I decided to write this book, not about avoiding confusion, but because we can't, because we can't, but about becoming unconfused and restoring connection, because it really is the best way to live. I realized when I read that yesterday that I couldn't have said it better than that, so I decided, okay, I'll read it. To be in caring connection is the thing that we are built to do. We are a herd species. We hang out with other people. There are some people who are hermit-like in their choices of how they live. But most of us, even if we live alone, we have a network of people that we talk to or Zoom with or think about. We really don't live alone. We live in a network of people that we care about. We hear something, whoa, this happened to somebody, happened to somebody, could happen to me. I think that's the most amazing thing about people, that we live in a network. So I'd like for us to do a meditation practice that invites us back into a really steady mind, which is able by itself to reach out into connection. I decided in the last week that there are three things that are true about meditation instructions. We used to say there are two things about mindfulness instructions, inside meditation instructions, that it calms the mind down and at the same time wakes it up. That different from concentration meditation, it's which you could, which you might fall asleep about. It's concentration balanced with enough uh, attention, particular attention, to keep you awake. I think it's three things: the meditation that we all practice together. It's meditation that it it's a mind practice that cultivates concentration, steadiness, but also cultivates. Uh, alertness at the same time, and also, I think, cultivates connection. I think it's concentration with clarifying attention with connection that we're trying to do. It's the three C's. So I'll give you some instructions and we'll do it.
sit in an easy way. Look at all the people. If you can, try to sit an alert way so you stay attention, but attentive. And we'll do five or eight minutes with each type of meditation. Calming and soothing. Being alert, clarifying, and connecting. First of all, find yourself in your body. Nah, that doesn't make any sense. Where else would you be? Or are you in your body? Or are you sitting in your last, on your left shoulder? <laughs> or do you exist at all? That, that, that's too much metaphysics. Feel your body. That's a much better way to say it. From your feet on the floor. If they're on the floor, if you're sitting. Up through your calves and your thighs and your bottom on your chair. In your back against the back of your chair, unless you're sitting on a zafu, and then your back is not so available to feel. That might not be true. You could be sitting without pressure on your back and know how it is. Feel how your shoulders lift up and down as your breath goes in and out. your neck and your head
In the next several breaths, feel the echo of each breath as much as you can that spreads out as breath goes in through your whole body. Your eyes are closed, but there's a way that the parts of your body that do move at all, there are parts of your body that do move. Your shoulders, your rib cage. If your breathing is is easy if you're not having allergies or a stuffy head. You can feel the in-breath. And the out-breath without moving at all in the back of your mouth. Take these few minutes to feel as much as you can the breath echoing through your body up and down and, and where you feel it.
you may discover that bringing the attention up and down the body in a, a wave-like way, starting from the bottom up to the top and back to the bottom, is soothing and not unlike what probably lying on the beach and listening to the waves is on a warm and breezy afternoon if you're in the shade and comfortable you hear the wave come and you hear it go maybe feel it in your body and feel it go and that it's very calming and also after a while that you fall asleep and take a nap so we'll move from moving the attention all the way up and down the body in a long way to bring the attention more precisely to the event of breathing. Breathing just as you're sitting, you don't have to move at all. But paying attention to the breath primarily in the area of the nostrils and the throat and the rib cage and the lungs. So as if you bring a wide angle lens to a smaller lens that sees more precisely what's happening. So as you're sitting, see if moving to just the nostrils or moving to just the chest is helpful to bring a certain amount of alertness to the mind. Maybe try one. And then after a while, try the other. Try feeling the really the air in the back of the throat as you breathe in and as you breathe out. Or it's more, it's more correct to say as the breath goes in and as the breath goes out. Happens all by itself automatically. You might explore breath at the nostrils and the back of the throat. See if you can stay just there. And I'll suggest we move to the chest in three minutes.
Now bring the attention to the rib cage, just the rib cage and its movements for the next three minutes. We'll do one more technique of awakening awareness, just with breath. We've been feeling the breath in the nostrils. We've been feeling the breath back of the throat, feeling the breath at the as it resonates in the rib cage. For the next three minutes, notice the space between breaths. And an in-breath comes in and it stops. An out-breath begins and then that stops. An in-breath begins and that ends. And an out and an in-breath, whatever I just said, an in-breath begins and it ends. And then the out-breath begins and it ends. And there's a space between the end of a breath and the beginning of the next one and the end of an in-breath and the beginning of the out-breath. 
See if you can count on your fingers. I've done one, I've done two, I've done three. Tends to keep you a little bit more alert. What we're really doing is finding ways for the mind to see and see more closely and see more closely. Just for a moment, I'll invite you to reflect back over the two types of concentration meditations that we did. 
the original one of all the way, the whole body up and down and up and down, uh, meant to be soothing and smoothing and concentrating the mind. And then successively going from the whole of the uh, rib cage to just the nostrils and the back of the throat and the rib cage going in and out. So a smaller focus. And then in the end, the smaller focus of just the spaces between. And see if you notice differences. It's not a right or a wrong thing. I, I want to be able to talk about it after a while. But I'm hopeful that your mind is fairly relaxed and alert. And the third type of focused attention I'd like to invite you to do is to get ready to open your eyes. Think of some wish that you could wish to most people. Something like may you be peaceful and happy or may you be well. Whatever phrase you'd like. And then when you're ready, open your eyes. It's startling, I think, suddenly to open your eyes and see all those people. Open your eyes and look at people in their homes. I hope that if you can, you'll turn your you'll turn your um, camera on. Sometimes people can't. And sometimes people are recording for later. But I hope you'll turn your camera on. And look at different people. And stay long enough with each person in their home, not in their box, in their home, to which they have invited you. I just started, I haven't done this before. I just started to say, may you be well and the name of the person. I like that better. That's my new technique. It's five seconds old, so now I'm teaching it to you. May you be well, so-and-so. May you be well, so-and-so.
And just before we talk about it, I'd like you to invite you to think about all the people in your family near and far around. I have to close my eyes to do that because otherwise I'm looking at all of you. But think about your family, your friends, your kin. Imagine they could all know that you're thinking about them right at this moment and wishing them well. Feel your mind and body as you do that. And then we'll all look at each other again. And may all beings be peaceful and happy and come to the end of suffering. And may the work that we do together be on behalf of all beings and everywhere. I don't really, I, I actually do have a bell, but I don't really like ringing it so much because it always reminds me of, okay, now we're finished being mindful. We can be just any old way. And I think we're just changing the form. So I'll invite you. I'll do a ding that's different. Ding. Okay. Now we can talk to each other. And uh, I realized we did not take our five-minute um do you want five minutes or can we just carry on? Carolyn is saying carry on. Everybody all right with carrying on? Okay. <laughs> then I hope that you'll want to talk about that experience and what you noticed or didn't notice or thought about or want to talk about. But now is our time to talk about things. So push your button that says I want to talk about this. Or ask about it. Well, they did. Well, of course, they were different. Those three. I could ask them. Uh, oh, Victoria is there. <laughs> <laughs> I actually am delighted, Victoria, because you're so reliable. <laughs> well. I, I I always feel um, I, I guess I, I'm not patient with the silence or something. Um, I was going to guess that you have taught school at some time or another. Yes, <laughs> yes. So when you say who wants to start the conversation and right. the hand up, you think ah, it's it's total. <laughs> it's, 
Yeah, it's it's uh, Karuna. I empathize with you totally. <laughs> it's like I, I would have made up something else to do, but I would have <laughs> everybody else. Um, no, I just wanted to share that um, I really love the three C's. That's just fabulous because I I noticed that I often try to start meditating before I have any kind of calm, and um, it's just. And it's funny about the bell too, because when I try to use my bell, it just makes me more nervous and agitated. <laughs> so, um, so I love that idea that like the, do the calming and then, and then, and I mean, the sequence is great. It's just exactly the way that, um, that I think, I think now if I put the calm in first, I can do the clarifying and the connecting and the concentrating. And actually that's four C's, isn't it? <laughs> now we're adding to the C list. Um, but I just wanted to thank you for that because the um I I need to be reminded all the time of the calming and the breathing and to get into the right place to meditate. So thank you for that. Well, listen, thank you, Victoria, for, among other things for you know hurling yourself into the gap. But it's actually true that what happens is you calm down the mind, then you clarify it a little bit, then you and then you begin to notice, hey, there's a world that I could care about. And that really enlivens you, and it, and it's it's continual going on. That it's not like whoops, finished concentrating, but that the 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 feeling connected to so many people also comforts the mind, which calms it down, which then allows you to calm your whole body more, and it becomes a feedback loop. People sometimes say, "Well, what are the new insights that? Uh, what new insights are you going to have?" And uh, I tell people that uh, the instructions for this practice are always the same. If you started yesterday or if you started uh, 40 years ago, that the instructions are always pay attention and pay attention more. Now, what else do you see? What else do you see? I'm going to make a note for myself. Talk about what else. And now you have another C, circle, because the feedback actually is a circle. It keeps coming around again. I just wrote that down. Thank you. Never lost. Wait a minute. <laughs> Concentrate, which is compose, and then clarify, and then connect it to somebody, connect it with something, and uh, and it's a circle. It comes back around. Uh, which the whole eightfold path is a circle, getting you around and around and around. And uh, and actually, I, I I actually wrote about the fact that it's not a circle. It's uh, they are all embedded in each other. And when you and you don't start here and go around the circle, or start here and go there. You start here and you end here, right where you started. But but more awake and more awake and more awake. I think that uh, I'm a different, I am, I'm in some ways quite the same person that I was about 40 years ago or 45. Uh, people people I meet that I went to school with will say, I, I recognize that laugh anywhere. I have <laughs> the same laugh that my mother had and I've, I've had it always. But I'm a wiser person, and it wasn't that I was unwise 40 years ago or 30 years ago. I didn't see as clearly as I do now, and it confirms and it confirms, and I am uh, I am kinder. 
I mean, I started out a kind person, but I am a kinder person. I am more attentive now. That's, I think, what happens. I don't get more illuminated, so I know more metaphysical answers. I know the same answers that I ever did. That you know, that uh, that insisting that my current situation be different than it is is the cause of, is suffering. It's not even the cause of suffering. It is suffering. Things are like this. They're like this. And somehow we have to integrate them our whole life. But I know that differently and more now than I knew it 20 years ago or 30 years ago. And of course, 20 years more of stuff has happened to me. And I have a bigger view because I've gotten old. But that's so important. Talk about what else is true. My friend, because I want to come around to Bashir, just a second, Bashir, I'm very eager to talk to you. Because this is very much um, my friend Sharon's uh, point about editorializing and or not. Okay. Thank you, Victoria. Hi, Sylvia. It's good to be here. Um, I'm South African. I'm currently living in the UK, though, in London. Um, thank you. It's my first time joining this Wednesday class. I'm very happy to be here. Um, I was so towards the end with the 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 meta practice when I closed my eyes and thought about my family. Um, so of all the people in my life, my my parents and immediate family came to mind first. Um, and I found that then found myself closing up a bit because it's actually quite fraught and there's a lot of a lot of pain in my family and um, uh, it's just really complex and so and then I I suppose it wasn't hard to feel love but it, it was all there was just so much pain um and I suppose there was well, I guess there's a, just a need for compassion for them and for me um yeah I, I I'm not really sure if there's a question there I just sort of wanted to express that that there was just a lot of sadness that came up um, first of all I'm extremely happy that you're here please come back again and the line that you said, compassion for them and for me, is I think mm. really the outstanding line. The point of this whole thing, the point of the whole thing is compassion for all of us. You know, look, mm. around, look around at the world and I think what is happening? Uh, just really what is happening? The news is, is overwhelming and if and 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 scary actually i wonder very much i'm about to have a new great grandbaby born later this month and i think what kind of a world is he coming into if he's born in 2023 at the turn of the century he would be 77 years old will be 77 years old and what kind of a world is it going to be? Is it going to be a world? Is it going to be people? And everybody hopes that there'll be a world and people. But we worry about it because it's scary. And I, and I think, just as I said before, but, you know, we can do so many remarkable things. And we haven't yet figured out how to get along with people on an international scale and on a personal scale. And we would have a world. And it's so sad. Because it could be other. We could blow a whistle like a referee in a basketball game and say, everybody stop. Let's just figure this out. This isn't going anyplace good for us, for the planet. 
and certainly in one's family. So it's really, I think the bottom line is a compassion for this whole world full of people trying to find a place and trying to live and doing not such a good job at it at this moment. So um, I think that's the, that's the essential question uh, at the end of the day. Uh, it, and I think the word for it is, the word of course is compassion, but um, it's so poignant. That's the word I'm looking for. We could be making all kinds of changes and feeding the planet and doing things, and we're not. We're making it worse. And that's so poignant because it could be otherwise, I think. I hope you come back. Nina. Hi, thank you. Um, my first time here as well, and I just want to appreciate you, Sylvia, and everybody who's here. Um, I know I have heard your name over the years, and um, I'm going through a painful situation with someone in my life. And, you know, I'm online searching for the answers and I came across something you had written, I believe about compassion. And so that kind of led me on a journey to see what else you'd written. And I listened to a talk online and saw this group and thought I would come. Um, and um, I also, I had a similar experience with the um, thinking about my family. Um, my family of origin has some complex things going on. Um, but what I noticed for me was it made, give me a little more appreciation for my husband and daughter where there's also some tension because <laughs> my daughter's 13. Um, but it just kind of made me realize that, okay, the family I've chosen it made me feel very tender towards them in that moment. And that felt very nice. Well, Nina, I'm very glad you're here. Where do you live? Where are you in the world? Oh, I live in Castro Valley. So in the East Bay. Uh -huh. um, and I usually, when I practice in person, I usually go to um, either IMC or IRC. And then I have a Monday evening online sitting group with Rebecca Dixon. I'm not sure if she's, if you know her. I don't, but I'm happy to know about her. Yeah. And uh, uh, IMC for people is the, uh, I don't know what IMC, I mean, I oh, know. It, it, Insight I know Meditation it's Center <laughs> and Insight <laughs> Retreat Center. I know it's Gil Fromsell. Yes. Who is one of my colleagues and uh, uh, who I frequently quote, uh, and I particularly frequently quote him uh, about um his definition of equanimity, where he says equanimity is the ability to say, this is what's happening now. Let's see what happens next. It's a much more elegant way to say, get a grip. <laughs> <laughs> He's very <laughs> diplomat diplomatic. <laughs> no, it's a beautiful way to say, get a grip, which yeah. is, I am much more likely to say. But I like very much that if I think of Gil, I said, let's see what happens next. When my mind said, ah, so wait a minute, you don't know. Let's see what happens next. So Nina, welcome. I hope you come again. Thank you. Yeah. So go joy.
Good morning. <laughs> oh. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, well, I just, it's my first time here also, and I just wanted to thank you. Um, I have read most of your books, and it's because of one of your grandsons. I met him at Spirit Rock, did not know who he was. We were both in the bookshop, and I was looking through books, and and I think he was probably around 10 or 13, and I said, I'm looking for some books. Do you have any suggestions? And he said, oh, I do, and he picked out all your books, and he handed to them handed them to me and I did buy them. And when I went out, I met his mother and his father and they said, well, did you know that that's his grandma? <laughs> so I was happy to know that you have great, great, great grandchildren now. <laughs> wow. It's a long time. Do you remember which grandson it was? I do not. I do not. It was at one of the retreats that were um, with the children. Yes. So years ago, it's been many years ago. <laughs> Well, I'm very happy to hear that. <laughs> so, thank you so much for your books. I'm sorry to hear that you're not writing anymore, but your books have done a, a lot for a lot of people. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much, Joy, and thank you for telling me that story. Uh, I have um, three great-grandchildren now, and I'll have four by the end of May, so that's a long time ago. Yeah, I have two. <laughs> great-grandchildren. Mm-hmm. One, yeah. <laughs> for you. Good for you. It's amazing. I was thinking about that this morning. It's amazing. It's like I was there for the birth of my granddaughter, who's about to give birth to this great grandson. And I, I was there for her birth. Wait a minute. And I was I certainly there at her father's birth because I was bearing him. So it's very, it's very amazing to think this is a parade of people from since the beginning of time, pushing out new people all the time. And there we are. We hope so for thank you very much, Joy. Anna is a Zoom user. Oh. oh. There you are. Ray? Oh, okay. Hi. It's Ray. 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 And Sylvia, I've read all of your books also. Um, huge fan. I live in um, Maryland, so and I have been to Spirit Rock a couple of times, which were certainly highlights in my life when I was there with you. And then I've also gone to Garrison a couple of times, several times with you, with Sharon Salzberg, um, also to Omega. So I'm, I'm a fan girl, I guess, or a fan older woman. Um, and I don't attend this. Um, I've attended a couple of times. I, I think I will attend more. But it was I was reading, rereading one of your books this morning. Pay attention for goodness sake, which I've broken down now. I read a chapter a day and I find that it helps me focus in being more the person that I want to be. Um, realizing that, of course, I don't have endless time left in life to do or to be um, all of the person that I can be. So it's been very, very helpful. Today's uh, class has been wonderful. I will attend again. Um, and I just appreciate you so much. Oh, yes. Sir. So you thank you. Say that. That's very nice. I figure 
you know, that I come from a line of people who told stories. Mm-hmm. How I came to write books to begin with is I didn't ever think about writing a book. I, I have always been a storyteller. And 20 years ago or so, I was teaching at Spirit Rock and there was a person who came to class and stayed for the whole class. And she came up afterwards and she said, this is my first time here. And I really admire what you said. And um, uh, I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. And I said, thank you. She said, did you ever think about writing a book? And I said, no, I didn't. And she said, well, I'm an agent. Here's my card. Uh, I, I see a number of people are laughing because in today's market, that is the equivalent of the heavens opening. I mean, it yeah. happen <laughs> that people come and say, I'm an agent. And, and I'm an agent and my, uh, I, I'm very close with this particular uh, editor at Harper, San Francisco. If you ever think about writing, let me know. And I thought about it for a year and a half. And then I noticed that I always told the same stories. And then I started to make a list of the stories that I told all the time. And then I began to tell a story. This is 1990. So we were nowhere, audio, whatever. We were making uh, cassette tapes uh, if we wanted to. So I began to record certain stories on cassette tapes. And then uh, I and I said to the class, because it was a new thing for me to be saying, I said, I'm thinking about writing a book. So that's why I'm recording these particular stories. And someone came up afterwards and said, my name is Martha. I come all the time. I love your teaching. And I'm a fantastic typist. So if you want me to type up your tapes, uh, Mm. give them to me. So, uh, you know, I was just in the right place at the right time. And Martha and I became very good friends. Alas, Martha died 10 years ago, more, more than 10 um, I talk about her frequently. Sometimes, we, if we have time, I'll tell you about Martha's teaching. I tell it a lot. Um, and we've just made a big pile of stories. And then I arranged them into these show this and that about what the Buddha taught. And they turned into a book called It's Easier Than You Think, which I would like to have another subtitle now called It's Harder Than You Can Imagine. Because I think that uh, it is easier than you think to say, you know, if you put down a painful thought, you free yourself from suffering. But the problem with the painful thoughts is they have like sticky paper on them and you can't put them down that all easily. So it's an important thing to think about. I didn't I think it was a little too it was a little bit too. I didn't write that title, by the way, It was written by the editorial department of. Harper's Africa, but I wanted to call it something else. I wanted to call it, um, I wanted to call it Change Your Mind. Mm -hmm. Or I wanted to call it I Changed My Mind. Uh, Meaning to say that I became a kinder and a less frightened person by uh, practicing. But uh, the publisher wouldn't let that happen because it's, if I change my mind, it's, it's too non-definitive uh, a title. Then what's it about? If you changed your mind, what did you change it to? And how how would I know you didn't change it again a few times since then? So too wishy-washy. And then I said, well, how about Albuquerque mind? They said, well, who knows what that means? 
Well, I said, I know that in Albuquerque, where I often taught, that if you close your eyes at the beginning of a meditation session and it's snowing outside, that 30 minutes later, when you open your mind, the sky might be clear. And then 10 minutes later, there might be a rain shower. And then 10 minutes later, something else. And that the weather changes with tremendous frequency in Albuquerque. And I want to say the mind is always changing. So they said that won't work either. That sounds too wishy-washy. We'll name it. It's easier than you think. The Buddhist way to happiness. And I think it's a good title because a lot of people bought it. But they said it has easiest in it and happiness in it. Uh, easy, happy, uh, what was else that they think? Um, easy, happy, uh, it's easier than thinking. It had all the right words in the title, and so there you go. But um, anyway, I had a lot of luck with the right people showing up at the right time. May uh, I say one more thing? Sure. I just wanted to say how much I appreciated that you began today's session with the Harry Belafonte song. And I wanted to point people to the YouTube um, 1989 Kennedy Center Honors, where he gets the honor and Sidney Poitier introduces it. And it's it's wonderful. I thank you very much for reminding me. There's a bunch of stuff online, as you can imagine. We are the world. And listening to that, you could spend a lot of nice time today listening to Harry Belafonte and pictures of him marching with uh, Martin Luther King and discussing with Martin Luther King. Extraordinary man. Jayla, what were you going to ask? Jayla? Jaya. Hi. How do you say your name? Jaya, two short A's. Jaya. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Some people say Jaya. It doesn't matter. I've been called a lot of different things. Does it people, mean something? It means victory in Sanskrit. It was it was given to me not by my parents. Yeah. Victory over the lower nature through oh. wisdom, not this kind of victory, but slowly waking up throughout. The lifetime. Um, whenever something comes up to focus on family, some people don't have blood relatives that they really know. I, I have one cousin and my husband, but, and the other part of my family was ignored. Um, for various reasons. So I didn't know them right from childhood. And the one side I know very few people came over from the original country, Greece. Um, so there's nobody there when people say family. Uh, that's always an odd thing, but I mostly stay peaceful with it. Um, and just realize that's what is. Um, on another note, there are two tiny notes. One, I met you when I was the kitchen manager at BCBS in, I think, 1996, when it was still called the study center. And I, I just really fell in love with you. And I don't expect you 
to remember me because of, I mean, you used to come in the kitchen and talk with me. What really got me is that you didn't just hang out in the office with the office people. And I saw that a lot of people. The kitchen person, yeah, hi. But so that impressed me. Uh, when you left, I, for some reason, I think you were taking the train. I think you were going to Pennsylvania, I think. But anyway, the train was going to be several hours. And I made you a bunch of little lunches or little bits of, of um, special food. Wholesome, nice, this, that, and the other. And it, it was a joy. And then that was it. <clears throat> a couple of weeks later, I got a letter from you. And you had told me, I'm eating such and such, and we're at such and such a stop. You told me along the way where you were eating and what, and said a little something about it. I was blown away that you took the time to do that. And it was so sweet. And I have it in my copy of Easier Than You Think. And, but the ink faded. <laughs> it faded. I still have the paper. And someday maybe I can figure something, but it's still a treasure. And if it's an appropriate timing, I'd love to hear you say something about Mudita. I really would. You'd like for me to say something about Mudita? Mudita. I will. First of all, I want to say thank you for remembering me. And um, I'm so glad that I remembered about saying something about the snacks and the taking, and the, taking the time to pack it. And, uh, Musong was the director at the time. Uh, yeah. If that jogs anyway. Oh, no, I remember Musong well. I was just going to ask you about what you know what you knew, but all right, yeah. I'm just very happy that you're there and that you got on. And uh, did your parents give you that name? Is what you said? Or? No. Um, when I was about twenty, I I discovered the the teachings of India. So I really hopped on the train. And anyway, I was given by, at the time I had a guru, um, and, and I went through that phase. So he named me, and they always did astrologically. So, and there weren't many people named Jai. It was interesting, just two other people. And I was with them six years. All the Jayas I knew were in India, so. Well, now we know someone of the Jayas is here, so. Thank you very much for being here. I hope you come again, and I hope everything good happens with you. And I'm so, I mean, picks me up enormously. So thank you. Anyway, here we come to Lisa, Lisa Marie. Oh, no, Mudita. Okay. Oh, the Mudita I'm going to do at the end. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, I, I will. Wait a minute. Mudita. Uh, <laughs> I have a lot of stuff to say about Mudita, so, but I'm going to come back to the Mudita. Okay. Go, uh, Randy. Go. Ah, hi. Um, I was playing some Harry Belafonte songs on my computer before I came to this, and I'm here for the first time, like several other people. I live in Berkeley. Um, and uh, 
I had just tried to click on Deo and I couldn't get it. And I thought, you know, I had three minutes or something left. And I said, okay, well, let's maybe you'll do it another time. And then I clicked on the the session and I kept hearing Deo in the background suddenly. Mm. And I couldn't quite understand what was happening. And did I need to turn something off or, you know, like, and it turned out that it was being played here. So I was thrilled. It was sort of a wonderful coincidence. So I'm thrilled Thank that you. you're here, Randy. Thank you very much yeah. for being here. Yeah. Uh, it was the only, I, you know, I tried to figure out what would I do to start. I, I did talk about him a little bit, but it's incomparable. I was, he was 10 years older than I was. So I was, um, I don't know, uh, 10 years older than I was. When I was uh, uh, maybe uh, an adolescent going to high school uh, or in college, I first heard him. And uh, it was just wonderful hearing him. So thank you for saying, you know what? Now that we talked about, okay, I am going to say with the, Jaya said about um, Jaya said about talk about Mudita, and I'll I'll read you something very sweet that I also wrote, <laughs> and it's way faster than I could talk about. Um, it's one page in another book, but in in the very book about um, whoops. In it's easier than you think, which is maybe um, okay. This is it. It's easier than you think. Murita. which is sympathetic joy. Jerry Rice, the San Francisco wide receiver was interviewed by Al Michaels during the halftime of the 49ers versus Saints game on Monday Night Football. They talked about the various league records Rice already held. Al asked, which other records would you like before you retire? Jerry smiled and said, I'd like them all. Then Al asked, of all the greatest moments in your career, which stands out for you as the greatest? It was when we won Super Bowl twenty three. Jerry replied. It was my first Super Bowl, and in the last two minutes of the game, Joe Montana threw a pass to John Taylor, who was in the end zone. John Taylor ca uh, caught that pass, but I felt as if it were me. Really taking... Oh, then I write about it. Uh, that is Budita altruistic joy, such delight in the pleasure of the moment that the focus of the joy is irrelevant. Everyone's satisfaction is shared equally. How many people saw that moment in time when John Taylor caught that pass? I <laughs> There's Ace. I knew I knew he was there and I knew he'd wake up for it. <laughs> Who else saw that pass? Nobody else. We might oh Cindy, yeah, we might be older than everybody, Ace. Anyway, it's uh 
seriously, Jaya, it's having pleasure at other people's pleasure, which is not so hard to do if the other person's pleasure is not a pleasure that you particularly covet. When I watch a uh, an uh, you know uh, an event on maybe an Olympic uh, swim meet or a, uh, a gymnastic event on uh, uh, on TV or a ball game, uh, mostly it's where somebody does something great, like in an arena where there are cameras around, and they show you somebody just finished some event like a pole vault and vaulted tremendously how many feet up and everybody says that was the most perfect pole vault and then the camera will swing around and take a picture of the pole vaulter's family sitting in the stand and they're falling all over themselves and getting so happy and you know really delighted about it because it's their person who just pole vaulted this impossible thing and you can be so excited for them that they're so happy that their child did that. And I never had a child that wanted to be a pole vaulter. I didn't. Nobody. But you, you can empathically realize how does that person feel? Or sometimes you see uh, ice skaters and then you see somebody in the stands afterwards when they did a perfect something and didn't fall down. And the parents are there falling all over each other and applauding as a feeling of somebody else's having pleasure. And you can, you can really get excited from them and feel how they must feel right now. The only trouble with that is, uh, or the only hitch with that is, I don't see this on TV recently, but remember they used to show people winning the um, publisher's, um, publisher's clearinghouse. Remember you used to see someone comes to a door, knock, 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 open the door and they say, you have won $5 million or something, or $10 million of publishers here, clearinghouse. And the people, in, and they're not staged, you know, they're, presumably they ride up with camera, maybe they're staged, but you see them knock, 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 open the door, wow, and you follow themselves. And I noticed in myself that you get really excited for those people. Look at them, they're just minding their business. And suddenly they've won $10 million on the publishing clearinghouse. And I think to myself, what would I do if they rang my bell? Knock, knock, knock. Here's $10 million. And I thought, well, first of all, I would pay off everybody's mortgage, all my children. That's the first. I, 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 maybe I should have thought something else first, but this is years ago when I thought that. I would pay off everybody in my families. I would make sure all my grandchildren and great-grandchildren had what they needed for the immediate future. And then, of course, I would give away the rest of it to some really uh, cause that I really, um, homelessness in the Bay Area or homelessness in Marin County or whatever cause I really hold dear. And then I think, well, Maybe before giving it all away, there's this or that other thing that I personally might like. Yeah. You ever have that feeling? What would I do with the publisher's clearinghouse? First of all, I'd give away everything, but then maybe I'd do this or that. Maybe now I would do it differently. I haven't thought about it for a while. As you get nearer the end, there's less things you want to do. And um, 
but I have the great grandchildren that I could at least pay their college tuition or, or something else. But so that even Mudita, your best friend calls you and says, um, can't believe it, I went to work today and I met this person at the staff meeting and they introduced them, new person. And uh, they said to me, uh, well, they sat next to me and we had a little conversation. And then they said, uh, you want to have lunch this afternoon? And I said, sure, I'm free for lunch. And we had lunch together and we liked each other so much. Can you imagine? We're going to a ball game on Saturday together. And uh, I think maybe this could work into something. And then um, as I was leaving that meeting, my boss called me over and said, by the way, you just got a raise. I just want to let you know about that. And you think to yourself, hey, you know, you've got a new companion. You just got a raise. I didn't get either of those things. Even your best friends, you start to think that's not equally divided around. It's hard to get your own ego out of the way, except when it's pole vaulting and you're nothing at all connected with that. And you couldn't possibly want to do something with pole vaulting. Anyway, I hope that's about Murita. So, Emiko. Sylvia, I just wanted to draw your attention. Lisa Marie had um, her hand raised and we kind of skipped over her. So I'm hoping that she might have the chance to speak. Where is Lisa Marie? And Lisa Marie and Rivka and uh, Brahmini. Okay, go Lisa Marie. Hi. Um, Oh, gosh, I want to circle back to... um... Oh, no, I don't, I don't, maybe Victoria said this, but um, the idea of what we gain when we sit in the immediate, and then there's a sense of that it's, that I, it's an opportunity that I look forward to, to be with myself. Mm -hmm. And also to remember at the beginning that by the time I get to the end of sitting, I have this, um, I, a practice of dedicating this the time and how good that feels to know that um, not only others are sitting also, but that I feel this, this extension of warmth toward, I look out my window, I see my neighbors and I often can't get any further than just blessings toward them because the feelings are so strong and the care for them and, and that the sitting evokes that in me is such a gift I feel so grateful for that oh I'm so glad yeah I was also going to respond to your initial question about the 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 different uh practices you gave us today and um the the calming part is so wonderful it feels so good and it's almost kind of tempting to stay there but I also know that I suffer a bit if I don't feel like I have a, a bit of focus um, like, or maybe like, not suffer, but it's a bit of a lost opportunity. And that each of those breathing practices, by the time I get to the one that you, where you pay attention at the top and the bottom, the focus becomes more concentrated. And I, I really appreciate having the reminder that there are ways that I can focus and um, feel more present in, in having those um skills or techniques to to work with thank you very much and i think particularly i'm grateful for you saying this was different from that and different from that and they all wake up the mind in a little bit and uh 
I once said, apropos of using different technique, now I'll use a technique of this, now I'll use a technique of that. I once said to my friend Sharon, who was at that point, uh, I hadn't known her a long time, she was my teacher, and now we're very much colleagues. Uh, I said to her, you know, I feel when I change from this technique to that technique to another technique, I said, I feel like I'm a little bit tinkering, like I'm playing around tinkering. And she said, we're all tinkering. She said, we're all tinkering to find what is the key that's going to open my heart and make me available to feel connected to all beings. And I love that. What's the key? And thank you very much for reminding me of that. Yeah, thank you. You know what? I like that so much. Emiko, uh, maybe we'll change the name of today's class to what is the key to open the heart? Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you. <laughs> it had another name. I now forgot it. This is a better one. What were you going to say, Brahm? And well, it's actually, it's actually me. So um, well, I want to say something too. Go ahead. Hi. So uh, we were talking about um, joy. And um, I, I grew up with three brothers, three of us. And then my little mom finally had a baby daughter. And they called her Joy. And every time my mother put a dress on her, she would cry because she wanted to be like her three big brothers wearing pants. And But it was still the greatest thing. And I have, she's a fantastic little sister. And it's just about the word of joy. You know, and that's, yeah. yeah. The family rejoices for her. It's true. Um, <laughs> that's sweet. But I wanted to say that, well, a few things. There's a wonderful special about um, Harry Belafonte. He coasted a week in 1968, I think it was, of The Tonight Show. And Johnny Carson knew there was a lot going on in the world and he didn't know, he wasn't the voice for it. And so he invited Harry Belafonte. And we watched, so check it out everybody. I think it's called Sit In. And it's Harry Belafonte hosting this, and it is multicultural and artists and um, quite special. But I wanted to say about the prep, number one, to also welcome everybody. So many new people, so lovely to see you. Hi, Ray. I haven't seen you in a long time. And um, that through this practice, for me, I noticed not unlike Lisa Marie, the depth that begins to happen from the calming to the focusing. But the connecting, there was just a natural smile, you know, that Buddha have smile that came on my face because that sense of connecting to everyone here and connecting to people that even if my relationship's complicated, it felt so good to wish them well, you know. And so I'm aware of that, that even though, I, you know, we, I think we all have complicated relationships in my in life, but one of the things that helps me is to wish particularly those complicated ones um, well, and you know, may they be happy. So, thanks, Sylvia. Always, yeah. Well, I love that you're both there together, which you always are. So, I know that. So, may you be well. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and by the way, I knew Ace that you would be the person who knew about what year. What's the year of that catch? I forgot. Uh, with Jerry Rice, yeah. I don't know because I was I'm a Jet fan. I wasn't a 49er fan, but, <laughs> unfortunately. Rooting for him because my brother lives here, so you know I was, I was rooting for him. Rifka, dear. 
Two short thoughts. Um, one, I found a cassette. Everyone's talking about your books. I found a cassette that you made maybe 25 years ago mm. while we were driving across country. And my husband and I put it on and you were still, the young Sylvia was so wonderful. You had such insights and it was still so apropos today. Something you wrote. Not, not everybody may know what a cassette player is, but I had one in my car. Anyway, but what I, wanted, I learned from Sharon when she sympathetic joy. She said, of all the things, when we think about compassion, equanimity, loving kindness, this is actually the hardest thing to get. And I was like, hmm, that's really weird. I didn't think of that. Like the things you just said all seemed really nice. Then a very close friend of mine, it kind of brought it to mind because even though these are small, my son got engaged and my other son got a job. And she said, you know, I can't talk to you about your sons because my own son was in the hot, her son was in the hospital committing suicide and another son had a breakup of a, a, of a wedding and the other, and she had just lost her job. She goes, I can't, I can't be happy for you. And I realized in order to have sympathetic joy and I, and I was like, well, that's like really too bad. And I realized what it was, you know, I became compassionate towards her, that her life, that her heart had to close so much that she couldn't be happy for someone else. And then I realize when I hear some other happiness, and I feel that little twing. Why didn't they ask me to give that? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm feeling a smallness of my heart yeah. that I have something going on that's rather than being able to be happy for someone else, I'm becoming small minded and close heartedness. And yeah. I realize that's what Sharon meant that this is one of the hardest things because the whole practice includes opening your heart and loving kindness and compassion. And when you have that, I think then you can enjoy sympathetic joy because that woman who I thought mm, that wasn't so nice actually taught me about myself as well. And I, I'm really glad that you, that you brought that up now. And I think I'm going to mark down that we'll, we'll remember for next week that really everything starts with, with making yourself okay. And with compassion for yourself when you can't be okay. And I think that I'm I'm seriously writing that down. Uh, because sometimes I say, oh, we'll do that right next week or next minute. And then I forget, forget when you can't be. And then maybe maybe we, and certainly not to fault yourself when you can't be. What kind of a person am I? My friend has all this wonderful stuff happening, but you can't. You can't do. You cannot respond with a whole heart when you're wounded. You can't. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's what I was. When you sorry, I won't be here next week to hear it, but that's exactly what I was getting at. That to, I did to notice in yourself why you're not able to respond, and I think the practice has helped me see to catch, like you say, to catch me when, like, oh, that's yeah. what happening here that's why i can't we wounded you can't do anything really ah i'm very happy with this morning i hope you are too we're one minute over but we have one more week together so if you're just joining us today i hope you'll join next week and uh may you may uh, i often don't say this formally but May the merit that we accrue by picking up each other's spirits, by being here for each other every week, by being here with each other this morning, may whatever merit and enthusiasm we build in our own bodies and minds, 
may we make a gift of it. May it trickle out from us to everyone we meet and everyone they meet and everyone they meet on behalf of the whole world. May all beings be peaceful and happy and come to the end of suffering.